Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast brought to you by The Rollup, a media and education company that provides high quality, actionable insights and information on all things layer twos, rollups, DeFi, scaling solutions, new protocols, juicy alpha, and insightful research. We're excited to share with you the latest trends and development in the DeFi space so you can stay informed and ahead of the curve. Without further ado, we will jump right into this episode with a brief update on some of our current sponsors. Buffer Finance is a non-custodial, exotic options trading platform built to trade short-term price volatility and hedge risk of high leverage positions. They are a leader in the arbitrum charge taking over on layer twos and totally understand the potential of blockchain technology and how it's transforming the finance industry. They are proud to support DeFi by design. If you're looking for a platform to trade short-term options, look no further than Buffer Finance. With their innovative tech, easy to use platform, they're at the forefront of the options tech in Arbitrum. Visit their website, buffer.finance, and take a look at all their options. ZKX is a leader in the decentralized derivative DEX market on StarkNet. StarkNet is a cutting edge technology built to help scale Ethereum using ZK rollups. They understand the potential of scaling, blockchain tech, and how it's going to change the world of leverage trading. ZKX protocol is happy to be on testnet and will be on mainnet very shortly. Check out ZKX protocol on Twitter, as well as on Crew3 to get more information about what's going on on StarkNet. What is going on? The Rollup. Welcome back to the Rollup YouTube channel, Spotify, Twitter, wherever you're watching this. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back in GFM. Uh, today, we have a very special guest from the LSD, Liquid Staking Ecosystem. We are talking to Daniel from Swell. He is uh, the, proud, uh, the proud builder behind Swell Network, uh, which lets you optimize your yield on ETH staking. We're going to be talking about all about ETH staking, uh, liquid staking. We're going to be talking about validators um, all across the uh, the ecosystem here as it as it pertains to Ethereum after the merge. Um, so I'll give a quick context, right? Ethereum was proof of work. Now it's proof of stake. And the merge made that happen. We're going to be talking about why they did that, uh, what, what we've seen changed, um, what, what Daniel has seen at Swell Network as far as uh, capital efficiencies and yields. Um, and ultimately, how he views the future of finance uh, and the future of Ethereum. So, Daniel, thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, the LSD five space is taking off. LSD obviously uh, means liquid staking derivatives. Most of our audience probably knows that. Otherwise, they just think we're degenerates. And we're going to be talking about it, man. So, welcome to the channel. Um, and uh, how, how are you doing today? Doing very well, sir. GM, GM. Uh, pleasure to be uh, with you today, Robbie. And uh, yeah, shout out to all the roll-up listeners. Cheers, man. Yeah, so our audience is, has uh, probably been with us. Most of our audience pro- has probably been with us for that transition from proof of work. Ethereum had a two and a half ETH block reward going on, you know, a few years. Um, and now we're proof of stake. And that means that the consensus algorithm, right? The, the math that means that no one is spending more ETH than they actually have is now secured by a whole bunch of people staking in this, in this big pool, this big pool of validators and all these validators talking to each other and making sure that you have the right amount of ETH and I have the right amount of ETH and he has the right, right amount of ETH. So 
what what is like maybe we can start as like a first principles uh at a first principles level with proof of stake and we can get into some of like liquid staking and what that means so can you kind of give us high level first principles why are why do blockchains and and specifically ethereum use proof of stake uh as a a ordering mechanism and and why why does ethereum use proof of stake yeah sure it's a great question it's a good place to start from the principles so effectively the transition from proof of work to proof of stake was always signaled early on in ethereum's development and we really saw that initially with the instantiation of the beacon chain back in december of 2020 so you had this simultaneous uh, beacon chain and the then uh, Ethereum POW blockchain, and we saw the merge come through, which saw the um, the transition from uh, from a POW to POS in uh, September of last year, and then that was a monumental milestone for Ethereum. And we've just passed another one more recently in April of this year with the Chappella upgrade, which effectively really cemented Ethereum as a full POS network where you could also withdraw the staked assets. And this idea of POS or proof of stake really goes at the heart of blockchain technology in the sense that it is a quote unquote consensus mechanism. Effectively, it's just a way for folks to be able to ensure the integrity of what is effectively a decentralized database, a ledger, if you will, and to that entire crypto economic system. Uh, but put more simply, um, I think for the majority of your listeners, people are sort of looking to get involved in staking. And so effectively what staking does, um, and I'm talking just general staking, not liquid staking, um, is you lock up your ETH, uh, your assets, um, and in return, you're providing a service to the blockchain, um, you're validating, um, and in return, you get staking rewards, and those rewards are denominated in ETH, and that's the entire sort of issuance mechanism and how you are repaid for your efforts and your valuers are being put to work. And the more people that uh, stake, the more security the system has, and hopefully they do it in a decentralized sort of manner. That's the high level. Got it. That makes sense. And there's there's a few ways to think about it. Ultimately, you're you're providing your capital uh, to the network as a service and you're paid for that service. We've seen other networks do it differently. Uh, we've seen, um, in the Bitcoin network, uh, miners contribute their capital in the form of energy, in the form of electricity by contributing it through these miners. Um, they are paid for that service. They mine Bitcoin. Uh, similarly in Ethereum, uh, you provide your capital. It's in the form of ETH. Uh, you're paid for, uh, the service that, that you, when you provide your capital. So that, that I think is relatively foundational when it comes to like blockchains and crypto economic systems. So now you, you highlighted staking. And I think, you know, that's, that's been in the web two news in terms of like TradFi and some centralized exchanges. There's a lot of regulation, regulatory talk about is Coinbase offering a security by offering this staking product. We're going to, I think we'll leave that out, you know, for the most part of this conversation, but you did highlight, you, you mentioned uh, staking in general, and that's not liquid staking. So maybe now you could, could you highlight the difference? What makes staking liquid staking? Um, so the fundamentals of staking generally is that you uh, put your capital to work, you lock up your capital, you stake it, and in return you get staking rewards. And 
Traditionally, before the advent of liquid staking, the staker had a choice. If I was an ETH holder and I wanted to participate in staking, normally I'd have to choose between staking or participating in something like DeFi. So before the advent of liquid staking, I'd either have to get staking rewards or I could use the ETH to mint DAI, I could provide ETH USDC liquidity or something like that, right? So it was always a trade-off. And what liquid staking did was enable you to have your cake and eat it too, so you could do both. And the mechanism by which that was made possible was through this concept of rehypothecation. In other words, what happens when you stake your ETH with a liquid staking protocol like Swell, genuine liquid staking protocols that are at the crypto economic or crypto primitive level will issue you a receipt token. Some people call it an LSD, other people call it an LST, liquid staking token second derivative but in effect what it is is a receipt token it's a mirror representation of your staked ETH on the beacon chain and what you can do with that token now is you can earn the second rewards so in effect you're like earning interest or earning yield and you can also use that to mint a stable coin or you can use it to provide liquidity and that's now being accepted as collateral and in some ways it's becoming the most preferred and most pledged form of collateral so it's a very powerful uh, crypto economic primitive because you can do both now. So in effect, what's happened at a systemic level is that people are able to, uh, Ethereum is able to get more security. And at the same time, DeFi has been able to grow. And we've seen this narrative come through, which is LSTFi. And at the same time, there's more and more ETH staked. And that's been really accelerated by liquid staking. Got it. And, and now we're kind of seeing this trend unfold, right? Because the merge was six months ago, about roughly six months ago. I think it was in about February of this past year or, or of 2023. So this is in August, um, which which makes it about six months that we've been in this post-merge proof of stake type of system. And there's a really great website. I'll give it a quick shout out. It's called ultrasound.money. And it kind of highlights a lot of the uh, a lot of the statistics of this proof of stake world that Ethereum is in. Um, some of the other characteristics are that ETH is now deflationary sometimes. So it has this burning mechanism uh, that burns some of the fees and takes ETH out of circulation when the network becomes very congested. Um, and this is, this is another form of kind of the controls that happen in a decentralized way for capital inflows and outflows to make sure that this system remains healthy. So kind of taking a look at like ultrasound money and the st statistics that and data that we have for this first six months of ETH in a post-merge world, what are some takeaways that you have just by, you know, kind of loosely observing some of that data, um, how maybe how often ETH is deflationary? Do you have any like just milestone conclusions at this point about like, is this going well? Is this transition problematic potentially? Like what, what are you seeing in the data from the last six months and the first six months of this, of this uh, proof of stake Ethereum? Yeah, sure. Really. Uh, so just a couple sort of qualifiers um, before going into like a projection or interpretation of what the data is showing at the moment. So the burn mechanism, which is a primary mechanism to enable the deflationary effects on ETH supply or new issuance. Um, was uh, EIP-1559, uh, which was much earlier than the merge. The merge 
uh, happened in September of last year. So we've had a couple, a bit longer than six months of data um, to look at things. Um, but what we have seen is that the ultrasound, it is a sort of app that you pointed out, uh, ultrasound money, because that is effectively the mental model for what ETH is today. It really is ultrasound money. Um, and is a good contrast to you know traditional fiat or unsound money in many ways. In one in one case, you have this hyperinflation, very sort of uh, you know the, the the debasement of purchasing power on in one in one side of the financial system, and then within the Ethereum ecosystem, you have ultrasound money. You know, it's triple point asset, global settlement money type thing for Ethereum. And I think what the data has shown is that um, a lot of the risk in Ethereum's overall development and maturation as a blockchain has really been sort of worked through. Um, it wasn't too long ago where people were sort of uh, very skeptical and highly pessimistic about could Ethereum do the merge? Could Ethereum enable withdrawals? And that's what happened. Like, And now we're at a point now where we're, we're starting to see more and more e-stakes. So we, it's, it's, it's like the Lindy effect on Ethereum is just continuing. And we're seeing more and more primitives and things being built on top. I think the timing as well for this particular show is uh, prescient because you know we just had PayPal. I mean, the, one of the largest, if not the largest, fintech company, you know, decided to issue stable off the back of an Ethereum blockchain, and that further reinforces Ethereum as this global settlement layer, as this baseline infrastructure for the future of finance. And I think the mechanics overall are really um, an enabling force um, for that thesis to play out. Why? I'm glad you brought that up uh, with respect to PayPal. That That's a massive uh, uh, move the needle type of partnership and, and deployment. Um, what? Why do you think P PayPal chose a public blockchain like Ethereum rather than building their own closed wall garden? I think there's been like a significant development in just the use case or the value of a public blockchain over a private blockchain. A private blockchain is basically a glorified centralized database. And we've run that experiment with IBM and, and other sorts of things in the earlier days of blockchain development. Um, things that are open source, things that are censorship resistant, things that are and can be verified by anyone all day, every day, has really the, that's the whole point of blockchain actually, um, is, is the blockchain. And so I think that um, the decision for PayPal and hopefully others follow suit as well is really uh, an opinion about what the future of finance looks like. And one of the strongest uh, product market fit um, sort of developments over the last couple of years has been stable coins. And that's the stable coin is really the thing that will inject a lot of exogenous capital into the system. That's the thing that will get folks um, that are sort of trip crypto native to utilize um, crypto and this technology without even realizing it. And that's how we're going to, in the sort of vein of, you know, Web3 talk, um, onboard the next billion users. Yeah. 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 I certainly agree. I think, I mean, we've seen, right, like swapping and there's some, there's some like money Legos, DeFi primitives that are like only only available to us because of uh, significant movement in in blockchain technology and the building that that's taken place on top of blockchains. Um, these functionalities were were always there, right? Lending and borrowing, swapping, right? The method of exchange. 
it's always been available to us. It's just now available to us in a decentralized manner. And <clears throat> like people like that, crypto people like that, DeFi people like that, but it doesn't quite move the needle for a normie, if you will, because, you know, they've always been able to do something like that. The fact that it's decentralized now is just kind of like, oh, that's nice, but I don't really, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. The idea that now um, there are there are stable coins that are providing uh, easy methods of transfer, uh, instant settlement. Um, I can actually get paid quicker. Uh, these are and and I can I can then take that money and then send it to someone in on the other side of the world in the form of a remittance. These are all moving the needle for for like the billions of people that are out there. And PayPal has the brand trust and the loyalty with those end consumers so that they don't really have to change their behavior, right? Like they're just going to continue using PayPal, right? But now under the hood, PayPal is going to settle on this public blockchain, which is, it's not just a blockchain. And I think that's really important, especially for our audience to understand is that it's so great, right? Like I love that these billions of people are, are onboarded to blockchain that's not enough. It's important that they are onboarded to a public blockchain. And, and the idea that the fact that now PayPal is using Ethereum is a great example of why public blockchains, as, as you alluded to have inherent value in them that private blockchains don't have the IBMs and the experiments that were ran for supply chain, right? Those, those are walled gardens and they don't interoperate with other blockchains that exist. If, if PayPal was to create its own private blockchain, they would recreate a flawed system, right? Cor- correct me if I'm wrong. Like that is our current banking system and our current financial stack are these siloed financial institutions that don't have the means of cooperating with one another unless it's through archaic types of written contracts and very, very slow bureaucratic systems. We are able to replicate the best forms and best first principles of that system. The, the idea that like we can trust like these systems with our money, people like that, but now we're able to recreate that, that custodial system in a way that is able to cooperate and it's able to cooperate through code that no one is, is trusting. People are able to verify it on their own that these like decentralized institutions are able to cooperate with each other. So I think, I think it's a really important distinction um, between PayPal and other financial institutions using public blockchains versus them using their, their private blockchains. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Completely agree. That, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I, I, there's, I, I just want to, I just want to drive that home because I, I don't know the, the there's certainly a question there. Like, I think there's going to be financial institutions that we've already seen, right? JP Morgan, Chase, they kind of experimented a little bit with this private blockchain type of structure. And I haven't heard a lot about it in the last few months. It might still be alive, or maybe they're coming around uh, as they do their, their research. Ethereum is continuing to scale in terms of throughput and liquidity. And that just makes it a higher bar for private blockchains to try to supersede if they want some superior technology uh, than the public blockchain that is already available and already growing. So how do you see this playing out? Like with respect to, and obviously there's a couple different institutions, like we wrap up TradFi 
in this big bucket. But ultimately, there's like the, the traditional banks, and then there's the neo banks like PayPal, and then there's like some other like more traditional like banking infrastructure. How do you see the adoption of liquid staking going with respect to some of these institutions? And then ultimately the end consumers that already trust these financial institutions with their money. Yeah, I think I think we're still at the very early stages of um, like staking generally. Uh, there's still a minority of the state relative to the potential and what the comparators are showing on full PLS systems where like 20% of all e state and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see that number climb up and then we should see um, ETH um, in relation to sort of USD values as well, sort of shift more favorably um, to the upside. And we'll also see more primitives as well come through. So at the moment, you know, post Chappella, um, a lot of the risk return has been uh, transformed uh, to the upside because what happened was um, a lot of the risk was taken out of the system whilst returns have remained largely the same. So if anything, you're better off after Chappella. And we saw this in the data with a lot of inflows coming through on staking. Um, but at the same time, um, I am, I, I, a lot of the the, 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 the sort of the, the adoption has come through um, the crypto native side, people that are very comfortable already holding ETH. Um, we're still yet to see the onboarding of um, quote unquote TradFi. Um, but I think that, you know, these sorts of developments are very promising. And I think that there would be in some ways a confluence of both um, tokenization of stable coins or representation of stable coins uh, using a mix of um, sort of off-chain assets and also on-chain assets. And there'll be a case for both and hybrid models and that sort of thing. And we're starting to see this as well in sort of real world, uh, real world asset of RWA um, growth as well. Um, but in terms of where to from here, I think the institutions will come as more financial products come out as well. So we're starting to see more of these ETFs come through BTC, then ETH, then ETH LSTs will come as well after that, and just more and more primitives built out. So there's been an analogy made about us speed running um, you know, the financial rails, but just doing it on, on, on chain. Um, and if you were to say, well, where are we on that journey? Um, we're still very early, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. Lovely. Yeah, we are so early when we when we think about like the adoption trajectory and like the the tra like TradFi is still focused on ETFs. Meanwhile, we're on like DeFi 4.0, like they still have to go through that entire arc. Um, so so, yeah, we are quite early um, and it, it is really cool to see it play out and to be on the forefront of it. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of crypto and DeFi uh, builders are are forward thinking. And love to be on the cutting edge of technology as well as finance and math in general you know anything with game theory uh and and that that is what secures a lot of these crypto economic systems um and it, it is really cool to speed run just speaking anecdotally now like i i think it's a really cool space to be in so any traditional financial bankers that are listening um actually our, our last podcast was with WorldPay, who settles like trillions of dollars but they're they're tradfi you know so we may have some TradFi listeners that poke it, poke their head into this podcast. And I encourage them to, to go down the rabbit hole, um, you know, keep listening, keep learning, keep building, um, and then and find your edge in, uh, in DeFi because there's, uh, there's lots of room to explore and, and freedom to, uh, to innovate, which is uh, unique to this industry. So, yeah, no, please. 
Oh yeah, I was just going to say yes. Uh, welcome all the tradfi people. Please come this way. Yeah. <laughs> we need more. We need more of that, um, and, and more of those um, different perspectives to come through. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's only positive. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we're you know, there's no there's no uh, uh, remorse or or uh, resentment or anything. You know, we we will welcome you with open arms. Um, Yes. So, so switching gears a little bit, um, let, let's talk, you know, I, I think you've painted a very vibrant picture of, of uh, liquid staking and proof of stake and Ethereum in general. So let's dive a little bit deeper into Swell uh, in particular. Um, you guys have a, a liquid staking protocol where uh, any ETH holder can deposit their ETH um, and then, and then they receive staking rewards, right? So walk us through a little bit about what happens in the middle from when I click the button to deposit some ETH um, and I can get some swell ETH. Like what, what happens in the middle? What is the, the, the mechanism? Yeah, so swell is a non-custodial liquid staking protocol. Um, at a high level, what we do is we utilize our smart contracts to enable you to click a couple of buttons and all of a sudden you're participating in um, Ethereum staking um, and it's it's all liquid. So traditionally you'd have to, you know, uh, have 32 ETH and you'd have to set up your validator node and, and do all that. And then, uh, but with, with Swell, um, that's all sort of abstracted away from you. It's all very simple. And the way it works is that we have a, uh, a set of professional embedded operators that have a lot of institutional experience, you know, in aggregate, they run billions of dollars worth of ETH um, and have excellent uptime performance. And so there's surety from that perspective. And then with regards to Swell, um, security for us is the highest priority. Um, you know, we have an immunified bug bounty out. We're also audited by um, Sigma Prime, who also um, was involved with the EF and has audited as well numerous other liquid protocols. So highly experienced um, from that perspective. So in essence, what you do is you just jump to the DAP, you click stake and you're off it away, really. Um, it's as simple as that. And then you can choose to participate within the DeFi ecosystem. We have a ton of integrations and across the Swell ecosystem, you can LP, you can mint stables, um, you deposit those LP tokens into different emissions layers and, you know, goes, goes like choose your own adventure sort of thing. Um, and then in terms of like Swell itself, you know, we've been live on mainnet for about three months. Um, we have uh, just under 45,000 East State, so a touch over 80 mil um, in, in TVL. Um, and we're currently running this campaign called The Voyage, where folks can come in and be rewarded uh, for early adoption um, and just patiently now upcoming airdrop campaign. And that's seen a lot of good traction and, and product market fit. We have more than 10,000 people joining us on that journey, which is really nice to see. And um, yeah, we're really excited um, about what we're building. And I think we're, we're really just at the at the early early chapters of, of what Swell's going to do in DeFi, and you know, we hope to just continue to um, keep shipping and, and deliver for our community. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premium is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premium, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. 
Well, what sets premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Uh, feel free to check it out at premium.finance. Um, hedge your risks or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital-efficient returns on Premium Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently uh, been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plan of Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plan of Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plan of Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Plan of Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Amazing. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the, the LSD5 space, I, I made a mistake. I said February. It's been September, so almost a year now. And there's there's lots of instances of like how people see this LSD5 space. And like there's a lot of different perspectives. Um, and we're, you know, we are starting to see some of the tools connect with one another. Um, and Swell has the pieces, whereas like we've seen you know, one of them, right? Like there's there's multiple protocols without mentioning any any in particular. Some of them allow you to deposit and that's it. Some of them allow you to take what you deposited and then mint stable coins off of that. With Swell, it sounds like it's all kind of together. And you guys have a pretty like comprehensive ecosystem of like these money Legos that, that we like to call them. And and you guys have, have been able to like package them together and build a structure yourself rather than supplying like one lego you guys have built this like hyperstructure of legos is that a fair assessment of a uh, swell yeah that's right Robbie. i mean that's just what we try to prioritize like like we ourselves are like we see ourselves as being really the composable base layer to enable a lot of primitives on top um, you're seeing this in the DeFi Llama data where LiquidSync is now the number one category in all of DeFi, but it also actually supports all the other categories as well. So things like Dexas, they use LSTs. Things like Stables, they're going to use LSTs if they don't already. Um, things like Borrowland Protocols, you know, it's one of the best forms of collateral out there. Um, and so Swell has really tapped into this and has worked with a lot of other protocols to help build out a real collaborative and composable approach in the truest nature of DeFi, which is this composability, i.e. money like I said, yeah, we try to keep it fun and, uh, you know, educate folks about, okay, here, here are the risks, but also here's the, here's what you can do, um, by the way, uh, if you want to, and it, it's up to you. Some people just come through, they just hold the swell token or, or, or the sweet token, um, and they earn second rules. Some people LP, and then they do all kinds of fun and interesting things. Um, so it's truly your own adventure. Yeah. And, and it is, ultrasound money that's part of what makes it like the best form of collateral out there um it, it's interest bearing right it's also eth uh 
and and there's lots of uh, benefits to holding ETH, whether you like it for the interoperability or the speculation. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna shame anyone for for why they hold it. Um, so so yes, tell us a little bit more about this voyage, right? Like you guys have have is this a liquidity mining campaign? Is this like what you know like you guys have have a token coming up and uh part of this voyage is like a journey uh towards this uh like token based protocol um and this and this governance i I imagine it's a governance process so so kind of take us through like the swell roadmap how the token fits in and then how this initial voyage uh phase fits in yeah um that's right so uh what the voyage is is really a, a path to progressive decentralization and also growth for the protocol um because we always set out to develop a genuine uh, community-owned directed and governed DAO, like a true decentralized autonomous organization but it's very hard to do that like at day one um very difficult uh, almost impossible um so there is this process that we've gone through and we try to make it fun and gamified and really community centric. And so we have the voyage and what the voyage is is a series of chapters telling a story about how um, the community members will go through these um, evolutions with the protocol and eventually end up in um, effectively Swell City, which is like a DAO. I mean, in, in some ways, um, a DAO can be akin to like a city of sorts, um, when particularly things like governance and so on. Um, and so we're about to announce chapter two very soon. Chapter one's been you know, very successful and people are really excited about chapter two and there's going to be some new and interesting bits and pieces of functionality that's going to come through the protocol. Um, but overall, it was always about bootstrapping the protocol with people that would be uh, long-term incentive aligned with seeing Swell generally flourish as a, as, as a mainstay of DeFi, um, as a fully-fledged um, DAO. Beautiful. And and what what are some of those new and interesting things like for for our listeners who are, uh, you know, in, in the audience, like how can they capitalize on this opportunity of of the voyage? Yeah, so um, yeah, more than 10,000 um, sort of folks um, have, have joined the voyage to date um, and they've been able to capitalize on the voyage really just by being an early adopter. So what does that mean? Um, it means like the, the the it means just like staking ETH. That's, that's fundamentally like the crux of it, and then utilizing your sweep in different places in DeFi, and you are effectively rewarded for that behavior. Um, so we have a bit of a points based campaign at the moment where people earn pearls, um, and those pearls are then going to be redeemable for Swell Token um, at our TGE. Um, and then for people to like, I, I, I encourage people to like obviously NFA and do your own research and so on. Uh, but if it, if, if well seems um, interesting to you, like definitely jump in, and uh, you know we'd be happy to answer any questions. Feel free to uh, follow us on Twitter and jump in the Discord. Um, and the things that are like exciting and coming up, well, there's a bunch of them. Uh, but one that I'm really excited about is our upcoming referral campaign, where people will be able to um, be incentivized and rewarded for um, for you know helping to grow the protocol and becoming advocates for it and we're starting to see that behavior um, come through the protocol which is really encouraging to see yeah yeah part part of it especially within the lsd5 space like where you choose and which lst you choose to deposit your eth into um with more and more options you know 
this is something that I wanted to get into. And, and I think it's a, it's a relatively smooth segue. Like that, that'll eventually kind of like spread the ETH um, somewhat thin over all the protocols as more and more options prop up, unless there's something that kind of like brings them all together. Like this referral campaign where why, why am I going to go get 4% over there if I can get 7% here because I get four plus another three for the referral? Or there's some, you know, there's some extra incentive that encourages me to take that form of behavior and deposit it into Swell, not some other uh, LSD uh, protocol. Um, and I want to, I want to kind of take this into an angle of, of like once that ETH goes into so many protocols, right? Like let's say native ETH, mainnet ETH is put into uh, Swell, and then you take your Swift. You take it and you, because it's interoperable, you take it into another protocol and you mint some stable coins off of it. And then the collateral in that protocol goes to somewhere else. And then we're using shared security to, to underpin rollups uh, as like a secondary form of proof of stake. At a certain point, is this, is this rehypothecation? And is that necessarily good or bad? Like, I think there's there's this idea from fractional reserve banking that our money isn't really there, right? And because we spin it up so many times, like we we move it around so much that no one really knows where it is. And if we wanted to pull it out, it wouldn't be there. If we take ETH and we stake it and then we collateralize it and then we secure it with, you know, we use it to secure something else and we use it as collateral so many times, is that stretching its security properties thinner and thinner? Or is there like a base, like fundamental value there that this, this doesn't really uh, detract from, from the underlying ETH value? That's a very, very good question. Um, I think it's inevitable that financial systems, including crypto financial systems, tend toward bulk complexity the more Lindy they have. And that complexity results in hyper-financialization in some ways. And that ETH has proven, and I think will continue to be the most pristine form of collateral that is a true embodiment of crypto. And so if that holds true, then it's really important that we have um, an appreciation of the various risks and layered risks that emerge out of this particular phenomena. Things like the inheritance of security properties and extending the consensus threshold, which is something that's been debated about and raised uh, by very prominent Ethereans, um, in particular to things like restaking infrastructure is important. And there has to be that social layer discussion and continuous dialogue and ongoing feedback loops between these forces where there is a hunt for yield and the more yield there is arguably the more risk one will take on. But the important thing is that there is optionality for folks because stake ETH, comparatively speaking is perhaps one of the most conservative, if not the most conservative form of yield generation. It's been termed the risk-free rate, whether or not that's an app term that's, you know, it's been, it's been likened to the internet bond. And so I would say that it is, it is very, it's one of these double-edged swords things. I think it's inevitable, and I think it's probably going to be in that positive um, for more growth, more adoption, particularly as we see 
Ethereum staking yields compresses more and more Ether staked. Uh, but at the same time, it's very important that that there is uh, appropriate uh, appreciation and mitigations in place. And if there is things like liquidations or these sorts of things, that it, it's not a situation like what we had in the GFC, for example, um, that the risks and the liquidations are isolated to those particular positions as opposed to causing a, a massive sort of systemic uh, DeFi-wide uh, implosion. Yeah, and we've certainly uh, had our had our taste of that, especially recently. For anyone you know who's following like Curve and and just the whole debacle of of the Curve's founder uh, position on Ave, like it was just this intertwined mess of collateral and and like liquidation risk and over the counter deals. It was it was quite a whirlwind the last couple of weeks. Um, any any thoughts on on uh, how we can kind of uh, un unwind is not the right word, but maybe like untangle some of these like cross like you know I guess that's a, that's a consequence of interoperability, right? Is things get intermingled and there's more efficiency maybe in in intermingling them, but there's also more risk. Like what in general, what are your what's your take on the last two weeks of this DeFi drama? Um, yeah, I think these guys are legends of um, of DeFi, and uh, yeah, I'd be remiss to throw criticism, or yeah, I'm probably not 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 well placed to comment. Other than I'm very appreciative for all the people that that kind of kind of kept came in and stepped up, um, and sometimes you know extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures, and if things weren't handled appropriately, I mean, you could have set back DeFi, you know, a little, you know, a bit more, but it seems like we're through most of that, um, and uh, no, it's great to see um, people step step up. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, things like like the things, the sort of things that we were talking about, would not be possible without you know curve innovation. I mean, and what the llamas have done. I mean, it's, you know, we're indebted in many ways. Yeah, and and for anyone who hasn't been keeping track of crypto Twitter over the last couple of weeks, there was a massive so. So there, there's a massive position on Aave and it's it's Curve's founder, which Curve is one of the most like used protocols in, in DeFi. They are they have this unique uh, swapping mechanism where they use a, a lot of like very sophisticated math to basically um, make swapping between stable coins very like very easy and very liquid. So so Curve's founder uh has a lot of curve and that should go that should go without any surprise so um he took so the curve founder took this curve and like any other DeFi degen he was using ave you know as as it's intended to be used so he takes his collateral his assets he puts them on ave he borrows against his assets so that he can go buy a, a multi-million dollar mansion that's not too out of the ordinary. It was reasonably sized. I think everyone, right, like enjoyed a, a, a mansion for the culture. So he takes he so he takes out this loan. His curve is in in Ave's collateral. He buys his mansion with his with the debt that he borrows from Ave, and then Curve kind of gets in trouble uh, because there was an, an exploiting Curve. There was some Viper uh, like uh, software that had a bug in it because of some release. Um, so. So hackers steal the funds uh, and then Curve 
has to suffer. So Curve starts to depreciate, which means the Curve founders collateral on Aave starts to dwindle. And if there weren't like these legends of DeFi, as Daniel said, like if these guys didn't step up, the likes of Justin Sun and Winter Mute and random addresses that were conducting OTC deals, then there would have been like a massive amount of Curve just sold on the open market. It would have tanked the the price of Curve. It, it also would have tanked like this really mature DeFi mechanism about that that kind of makes Curve the protocol work because the Curve token is very uh, is is very important to the Curve protocol uh, because they use this this bribery mechanism to allocate incentives for the protocol to work. And if Curve's token would have tanked, then the Curve protocol would have broke because these curve bribes would have been rather worthless. Did I get that right, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm, yeah. It, I think this, it is fun to watch. I mean, like, just, you know, sort of like, just, just watching it all, all sort of unfold. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's so interesting to see the different takes on CT. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It yeah, it, I mean, I don't know how we haven't gotten like a movie or at least a documentary about this. Um, yeah, so so thank thankfully um, these legends, these Justin Sons, Winter Mutes, other other prominent DeFi figures step in. They buy the curve over the counter so that it's not sold on the open market and and does not uh, destroy the price. Long story short, um, and now we're now we're through the most of it, right? So I think. I think the Curves founder's loan is relatively healthy on Aave. His name is Michael, so I think I think Michael's loan is relatively he healthy on Aave, which is good. Um, we shouldn't see massive liquidations across across the industry, which is also good. Um, and and like we, so okay, so I think it's telling, right? Because we kind of landed on that subject by coming from the idea of rehypothecation. So. Is that evidence? Like, is that like, okay, this is what we need to watch out for. This is what can happen if we're not careful. And how do we make sure that like PayPal, who is now going to settle transactions on a public blockchain, does not have contagion risk of like incorporating their stable coins into the same mix as like some of these like other loans and other protocol, you know, other protocol deposits? Um, yeah, I think there is um, like there's a Darwinian element to this, and there's a evolutionary element overall. Like there, there's been some you know uh, a commentary about you know the degree to which um, governance tokens can be used as collateral, or the underwriting requirements, or isolated risks, or isolated pools versus um, non-isolated pools, and that sort of thing. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it would have been an uglier situation had there not been intervention by folks. Um, and I think this is a bit of a learning lesson for, for, for underwriters generally and, and the way that these protocols sort of work. But I, I mean, capitalism will do its thing. And I think that um, hopefully like, and, and actually, you know, this was a birth of Bitcoin actually, you know, it came out of the GFC. So um, yeah, I think human, human nature is human nature, but I think, you know, uh, I'd rather be on chain than off chain for for things like um, like risk and transparency and underwriting and collateral 
health ratios and all that sort of thing on chain is definitely best because it's transparent. That is a that is a great point to make, and and I I want to kind of interpret like that and in saying that if if all of this like if Michael's position was not on Ave and it was on some like tradfi type of uh, institution, we might not have known how unhealthy that loan really was. But be, and and then as a result, we would have been reactionary as as kind of like financial participants in this market. We would have been reactionary to think like, oh, all of a sudden, like, like it's insolvent, right? It's too late to save and make these over-the-counter deals. If it's in this like tradfi ecosystem, we may never have known and we may never have had an opportunity to come in and write the ship. Um, but because Michael's loan was on a blockchain and, and on a public blockchain at that, we have all these independent watchers and monitors that are able to almost consistently audit and constantly audit the blockchain for unhealthy positions. And even Ave has this network of, of liquidators that are always trying to snipe unhealthy positions. And because there's so many independent actors with eyes on this system, we were able to catch that before it got really, really messy. So I, I think there's, I think that's a great, a great um, thing to bring up. Uh, it's really important that this happened on a blockchain. Otherwise it could have been much, much worse. And, and, you know, there's untold financial uh, catastrophe that happens off of blockchains. Who knows how much of that could have been saved by putting those financial transactions on chain and having all these independent eyes keep watch over it at, you know, at all times. We could have saved ourselves lots of strife and economics, uh, uh, economic, uh, you know, like unhappiness uh, by having it on chain. So, so yeah, I, I, I want to really drive that home because I think it's an important thing to bring up. And that's not a, a, a perspective that I've heard in the, in this recent debacle, you know, is, is people making a case for, you know, this is actually why we should have it on chain. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that that uh, perspective. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and, and well said. Um, yeah, completely agree. Cool, man. Well, we are we are running on time here. I, I have uh, I have one question that kind of goes with the with this train of thought, and then I have one question that that we ask everyone who comes on the channel. So in these last few minutes, I, I'd love to ask just these two more questions. Um, so so we talked about Swell's voyage and roadmap. And the journey that you have towards progressive decentralization. So I want to I want to think about how that mental model plays into uh, the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap. We also talked a little bit about shared security and and stretching ETH so that it can it can uh, secure other protocols and right roll-up protocols in addition to uh, mainnet Ethereum. So how do you see this Ethereum's uh, roll-up centric roadmap working? Um, how does the liquid staking e e kind of economy fit into uh, that roll-up centric roadmap? Yeah, I think the mental model is that, you know, Ethereum L1 mainnet will serve as a settlement layer. And then there'll be this proliferation of L2s, L3s on top. And there'll be more efficiency, more speed, more throughput, lower gas fees, all that sort of thing. And that the foundation for that has already been uh, laid already through the you know, EIP 1559, the merge, Chappella, 
all that was in, intentionally done so that we could have this continuation of this um, uh, sort of architecture being uh, built out. And I think um, the role of liquid staking will be to really to support staking at its core, which is to um, increase the economic security and decentralization of L1. And then we'll have um, more sort of innovation built around that with restaking and other sorts of bits and pieces of infrastructure that will uh, benef be beneficiary for the underlying economic security that comes from staking. And I think that there will be a preference or some preference uh, for liquid staking because you can get staking rewards and also DeFi rewards and also other forms of rewards that will come through as more and more innovation and financialization takes place. Um, so yeah, I think we're still at the early stages of that. Awesome. Yes, yeah, still, still so early um, in terms of the building, the innovation, the adoption. There's, there's such a long way to go. Um, we're all, we're just uh, not even a year into the into the proof of stake world of Ethereum. So um, yeah, the roll up centric roadmap um, will will continue. Um, cool. And and the last question we ask everyone and and uh, and um, the question is if you could talk to anyone dead or alive uh like you were stuck in an elevator and you were to pitch someone on swell the liquid staking ecosystem and and maybe ethereum in general who would you choose to be stuck in an elevator with and uh and and what would you say oh that's a good one uh satoshi <laughs> just to like yeah just to can get, you believe like... you're the first person to say that oh really <laughs> that is Honestly, I mean, that's a that's a great answer. Yeah. So so why Satoshi? Yeah. First, I wouldn't be pitching Swell. I'd, I'd probably just be just like I I want to know his or her or their perspective on like like what was the original vision for for what they were trying to to articulate, and then how do they feel about the industry today and what's happened, and what would they do differently, and are they happy with it? And then, yeah, and then see how the conversation goes from there. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, continue with uh, with a coffee or something. I, I mean, I'd love to to get in uh, the, the sort of and understand, you know, that the, the, that sort of line of thinking. Such a Chad answer to that question. To say you want to talk to Craig, right? I mean, man, no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um. Cool, man. Yeah, we can we can wrap up there. If there's anything else you wanna you wanna add, um, you know, go go follow Swell. Um, shout out the Discord. Shout out Swell Network. Uh, the website is uh, swellnetwork.io. Um, you, you can you can stake right on the website. There's a big blue stake button. Click it. Oh yeah. Um, and then you can find all the all the Twitter, all the all the socials on there. Um, follow Daniel as well. What what's your personal? Uh, Daniel underscore swell underscore. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Go follow, keep in touch and, and join, uh, join the journey and, uh, join the voyage. Yeah. We'll be on it. Thank you, Robbie. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by design podcast and a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.